Section four of Fairy Prince and Other Stories by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Game of the Bewitchments, Part Two. My father turned round quicker than scat. He glared right through the rich man at our Aunt Esta. He told our Aunt Esta just what he thought of her. The rich man said it wasn't so at all, that the game undoubtedly was perfectly practical if— "'If nothing,' said my father, "'it's you yourself that are spoiling the whole effect "'by running around playing you're a black slave "'with nothing on but a velvet ribbon round one knee. "'The very least you could do,' said my father, "'is to have your face blacked and wear a plaid skirt.' "'Eh?' said the rich man. "'Our Aunt Esther was perfectly delighted with the suggestion. "'The rich man took her delight coldly. "'He glared at my father. "'I don't think I need any outside help,' he said in the management of my affairs. As the owner, indeed, of one of the largest stores in the world, I— That's all right, said my father, but you never yet have tried to manage the children's Aunt Esta. Nothing can stop her. Nothing could. She pinned an old plaid shawl around the rich man's waist. She blacked his face. He had to kneel at her feet while it was being blacked. He seemed to sweat easily but our Aunt Esta blacked very easily, too. He looked lovely. Even my father thought he looked lovely. When he was done, he wanted to look in a mirror. My father advised him not to, but he insisted. My father got up from making suggestions and came and stood behind him while he looked. They looked only once. Something seemed to hit them. They doubled right up. It was laughter that hit them. They slapped each other on the back. They laughed and laughed and laughed. They made such a noise that my mother came running. It seemed to make our Aunt Esta a little bit nervous to have my mother come running. She pointed her wand. She roared her voice. Where is the silver bird? She roared. My mother looked just as swoony as she could. She fell on her knees. She clasped her hands. Oh, cruel witch, she said. I saw the bird, but I couldn't reach him. He was in the poplar tree. However, in the world did you put him there? Was that what you were bribing the butcher's boy about this morning? Was that— Hush! roared our Aunt Esta. Your doom has overtaken you. Go hence with the clatter of a horse's hoof until such time as your incompetent head may— Oh, it wasn't my head that was incompetent, said my mother. It was my legs. The poplar tree was so very tall so very fluffy and undecided to climb. So, with the clatter of a horse's hoof, insisted our Aunt Esta, there can be no mercy. None, implored my mother. None, said our Aunt Esta. She gave my mother two funny little wooden cups. They were something like clappers. You could hold them in your hand so they scarcely showed at all and make a noise like a horse galloping across a bridge or trotting or anything. It made quite a loud noise. It was wonderful. My mother started right away for the village. She had on white shoes. Her feet were very small. She sounded like a great team horse stumbling up the plank of a ferry boat. I think I'll go get the mail, she said. Like that, screamed my father. My mother turned around. Her hair was all curly. There were laughs in her eyes. I have to, she said. I'm bewitched. I'll go with you, said my father. My mother turned around again. 
She looked at my father, at his golden crown, at his white spangled wings, at the pink silk skirt over his arm. Like that, said my mother. My father decided not to go. The rich man said he considered the decision very wise. They glared. Way over on the other side of the green lilac hedge, we heard my mother trotting down the driveway. Clack, 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 sounded the hoofbeats. My lord, she's pacing, groaned my father. Clever work, said the rich man. Was she ever in a band? In a jazz band, you know, with bantam rooster whistles and drums that bark like dogs? In a what? cried my father. He was awful mad. Our Aunt Esther tried to soothe him with something worse. She turned to me. Now, Ruthie the Rabbit, she said, let us see what you can do to redeem the ignominy of your impudent giggling. She handed me the bright green and the bright red celluloid fishes. She poked her wand at me. Hopping all the way, she said, every step of the way, you understand, bear these two fish to the head waters of the magic brook. The little pool under the apple tree will do and start them ex expeditiously down the brook towards Rosalie. Yes, am I said. Our Aunt Esther turned to the rich man. Foul menial, she said, push my chariot a little further down the lawn, into the shade. The foul menial pushed it. My father pushed a little, too. I hopped along beside them, flopping my long ears. Our Aunt Esther looked exactly like a witch. The rich man's black face was leaking a little, but not much. It would have been easier if he hadn't tripped so often on his plaid shawl skirt. My father's white wings flapped as he pushed. He looked like an angel who wasn't quite hatched. It was handsome. When we got to the thickest shade, there was a man's black felt hat bobbing along the top of the Japonica hedge. It was rather a soft-boiled-looking hat. It was bobbing just as fast as it could towards the house. When our Aunt Esther saw the hat, she screamed. She jumped from her chariot as though it had been flames. She tore the scraggly gray wig from her head. She tore the hump from her back. She kicked off her wooden shoes. Her feet were silk. She ran like the wind for the back door. My father ran for the woodshed. The rich man dove into the lilac bush. When the rich man was all through diving into the lilac bush, he seemed to think that he was the only one present who hadn't done anything. "'What are you so scared about, Ruthie?' he said. "'What's the matter with everybody? Who's the bloke?' "'It's the new minister,' I said. "'Has he got the cholera or anything?' said the rich man. "'No, not exactly,' I explained. "'He's just our Aunt Esther's suitor.' "'Your Aunt Esther's suitor?' cried the rich man. "'Suitor?' He clapped his hand over his mouth. He burst a safety pin that helped lash the plaid shawl around him. What do you mean, suitor, he said. It seemed queer that he was so stupid. Why, a suitor, I explained, is a person who doesn't suit, so he keeps right on coming most every day to see if he does. As soon as he suits, of course, he's your husband and doesn't come any more at all because he's already there. The new minister, I explained very patiently, is a suitor for our Aunt Esther's hand. We crawled through the lilac bush. We peeped out. Our Aunt Esther hadn't reached the back door at all. She sat all huddled up in a heap on the embankment, 
trying to keep the new minister from seeing that she was in her stocking feet. But the new minister didn't seem to see anything at all except her hands. Being a suitor for her hands was natural, I suppose, that he wasn't interested in anything except her hands. Her hands were on her hair. The scraggly gray wig had rumpled all the seriousness out of her hair. It looked quite jolly. The new minister stared and stared and stared, except for having no lovingness in them. Her hands looked very much like my mother's. Our Aunt Esta's got nice hands, I said. The rich man burst another safety pin. Yes, by Jove, he said, and nice feet, too. He seemed quite surprised. How long's this minister fellow been coming here, he said. Oh, I don't know, I said. He comes whenever our Aunt Esta comes. The rich man made a grunt. He looked at the minister's hat. Think of courting a woman, he said, in a hat like that. Oh, our Aunt Esta doesn't care anything at all about hats, I said. It's time she did, said the rich man. We'll go out if you say so, I suggested, and help them have a pleasant time. The rich man was awfully mad. He pointed at his plaid shawl. He pointed at his black face. What, he said, go out like this? And make a fool of myself before that ninny hat? Why, he'd love it, I said. The rich man choked. That's quite enough reason, he said. There was a noise in the woodshed. We could see the noise through the window. It was my father trying to untie his wings. He couldn't. The rich man seemed to feel better suddenly. He began to mop his face. It's a great game, all right, he said, if you don't weaken. He pulled my ears. But why in the world, Ruthie, he worried, did she have to go and tuck that forty-three cents onto the end of the bill? Why, that's her profit, I explained. Her profit, gasped the rich man. Her profit? Why, she has to have something, I explained. She was planning to have more, of course. She was planning to go to Atlantic City. But everything costs so big, even toys. It's... Her profit, gasped the rich man. Forty-three cents on a two-hundred-dollar deal? He began to laugh and laugh. And she calls herself a businesswoman, he said. Why, she ought to be in an asylum. All women, in fact, ought to be in asylums or else in homes of their own. Quite furiously, he began to pull my ears all over again. Businesswoman, he said. And both her feet would go at once in the hollow of my hand. Businesswoman. Out in the roadway, suddenly somebody sneezed. It made the rich man jump awfully. Ruthie, stay where you are, he ordered. I can't, I called back. I'm already hopped out. From my hop-out, I could see the person who sneezed. Anybody would have known that it was Posy with the sick bones. She was sitting in an automobile peering through the hedge. There was a black woman with her. The rich man crackled in the bushes. He reached out and grabbed my foot. He pulled me back. His face looked pretty queer. Yes, she's been there all the time, he whispered, but not a soul knows it. I wanted her to see it work. I wanted to be sure that she liked it. But I was afraid to bring her in. She catches everything so, and I knew there were children here, and I was afraid there might be something contagious. He peered out through the lilac branches. There was quite a good deal to peer at. Down in the meadow, Rosalie was still running up and down the soft banks of the brook, 
trying to catch the celluloid fish. She had on a green dress. It was a slim dress like a willow wand. She had her shoes and stockings in one hand, and a great bunch of wild blue forget-me-nots in the other. Her hair was like a gold wave across her face. She looked pretty. The springtime looked pretty, too. Out in the woodshed my father was still wrestling with his wings. Up on the green mound by the house, our Aunt Esther was still patting her hair, while the new minister stared at her hands. The rich man turned very suddenly and stared at me. Contagious, he gasped out suddenly. Why, upon my soul, Ruthie, it's just about the most contagious place that I ever was in, in my life. He gave a funny little laugh. He glanced back over his shoulder towards the road. He groaned. But I shall certainly be ruined, Ruthie, he said, if my little daughter Posy or my little daughter Posy's black woman ever see me at close range in these clothes. He took my chin in his hands. He looked very deep into my eyes. Ruthie, he said, you seem to be a very intelligent child. If you can think of any way, any way, I say, by which I can slink off undetected into the house and be washed. Oh, shucks, that's easy, I said. We'll make Posy be the witch. When I hopped out this time, I stayed hopped. I hopped right up on the wall and stroked my ears. When Posy with the sick bone saw me, she began to laugh and clap her hands and kick the black woman with her toes. Oh, I want to be the witch, she cried. I want to be the witch forever and ever and change everybody into everything. I'm going to wear it home in the automobile and scare the cook to death. I'm going to change the cook into a cup of beef tea and throw her down the sink. I'm going to change my poodle dog into a new moon, she giggled. I'm going to change my doctor into a balloon and cut the string. The rich man seemed perfectly delighted. I could see his face in the bushes. He kept rubbing his hands and nodding to me to go ahead. I went ahead just as fast as I could. The black woman began to giggle a little. She giggled and opened the automobile door. She giggled and lifted Posy out. She giggled and carried Posy to the witch's chariot. She giggled and tied the witch's hat under Posy's chin. She giggled and tied the humped back cape around Posy's neck. Posy never stopped clapping her hands except when the witch's wig itched her nose. It was when the witch's wig itched her nose that the rich man slunk away on all fours to be washed. He giggled as he slunk. It looked friendly. Carol came. He was pretty tired, but he had the pink breeze in his hands. It was flocks. It was very pink. It was in a big flower pot. He puffed out his cheeks as he carried it and blew it into breezes. It was pretty. It was very heavy. He knelt at the witch's feet to offer it to her. When he looked up and saw the strange child in the witch's chair, he dropped it. It broke and lay on the ground, all crushed and spoiled. His mouth quivered. All the shine went out of his face. It scared Posy to see all the shine go out of his face. Oh, boy, boy, put back your smile, she said. Carol just stood and shook his head. Posy began to scream. 
"'Why doesn't he speak?' she screamed. "'He can't,' I said. "'He hasn't any speech.' "'Why doesn't he cry?' screamed Posy. "'He can't,' I said. "'He hasn't any cry.' Posy stopped screaming. "'Can't he even swear?' she said. "'No, he can't,' I said. "'He hasn't any swear.' Posy looked pretty surprised. "'I can speak,' she said. "'I can cry. I can swear.' "'You sure can, little missy,' said the black woman. Posy looked at Carol. She looked a long time. A little tear rolled down her cheek. "'Never mind, boy,' she said. "'I will help you make a new pink breeze.' "'Oh, Lord, little missy,' said the black woman. "'You never help no one do nothing in your life.' "'I will if I want to,' said Posy. "'And we'll make a larkspur-colored breeze, too, if we want to,' she said and I'll have it on my window-sill, all bluey and frilly and fluttery when everything else in the room is horrid and hushed and smothery, and we'll make a green breeze. She gave a little cry. She looked at the waving meadow where all the long silver-tipped grasses ducked and dipped in the wind. She stretched out her arms. Her arms were no bigger than the handles of our croquet mallets. We'll dig up all the waving meadow, she cried and pot it into window-sill breezes for the hot people in the cities. "'You can't,' I said. "'It would take more than an hour, and you've got to be the witch.' "'I will not be the witch,' said Posy. She began to scream. "'It's my game,' she screamed, "'and I'll do anything I like with it.' She tore off her black-pointed hat. She kicked off her stubby wooden shoes. She screamed to the black woman to come and bear her away. While the black woman bore her away, Carol walked beside them. He seemed very much interested that anyone could make so much noise. When Posy saw how much interested Carol was in the noise, she stopped entirely screaming to the black woman and screamed to Carol instead. While Carol walked beside the noise, I saw the new minister come down the road and go away. His face looked red. Our Aunt Esther came running. She was very businesslike. She snatched up her wooden shoes and put them on. She crammed on the scraggly gray wig and the humped-back cape. Foul menial, she called. Come at once and resume the game. The black woman stepped out of the bushes. She looked very much surprised, but not half as surprised as our Aunt Esta. Our Aunt Esta rubbed her eyes. She rubbed them again and again. She looked at the black woman's face. It was a real black face. She looked at the black woman's woolly hair. It was real woolly hair. Her jaw dropped. Ruthie the rabbit, hop here, she gasped. I hopped. She put her lips close to my ear. Ruthie the rabbit, she gasped. Do I see what I think I see? Yes, you do, I said. She put her head down in her hands. She began to laugh and laugh and laugh. It was a queer laugh, as though she couldn't stop. The tears ran out between her fingers. Well, I certainly am a witch, she laughed. Her shoulders shook like sobs. The rich man came running. He had his watch in his hand. He was all clean and shining. He saw the black woman standing by the witch's chair. He saw the witch in the chair. He thought the witch was posy. He grabbed her right up in his arms and hugged her. Though I'm late for a dozen directors' meetings, he cried, 
It's worth it, my precious, to see you laugh. I'm not your precious, cried our Aunt Esta. She bit, she tore, she scratched. She shook her scraggly gray wig curls all over her face. It was like a mask, but all the time she kept right on laughing. She couldn't seem to stop. The rich man kissed her, and kissed her right through her scraggly gray wig curls he kissed her. He couldn't seem to stop. Now at last, my precious, he said, we've learned how to live. We'll play more, we'll laugh more. Our Aunt Esta tore off her wig. She tore off her hump. She shook her fist at the rich man, but she couldn't stop laughing. The rich man gave one awful gasp. He turned red. He turned white. He looked at the woodshed window to see if my father had seen him. My father had seen him. The rich man said things under his breath. That is, most of them were under his breath. He stalked to his car. He ordered the black woman to pick up the real posy and stalked to his car. He looked madder than pirates. But when he had climbed into his car and had started his engine and was all ready to go, he stood up on the seat instead and peered over the hedge top at our Aunt Esta and grinned. Our Aunt Esta was standing just where he had left her. All the laughter was gone from her, but her eyes looked very astonished. Her cheeks were blazing red. Her hair was all gay and rumpled like a sky terrier's. It seemed somehow to be rather becoming to our Aunt Esta to be kissed by mistake. The rich man made a little noise in his throat. Our Aunt Esta looked up. She jumped. The rich man fixed his eyes right on her. His eyes were full of twinkles. Talk about bewitchments, he said. Talk about bewitchments. I'll be back on Tuesday. What for? Great jumping Jehoshaphats, he said. It's enough that I'll be back. My father stuck his head in the tip of one battered wing out the woodshed window. He started to say something and cocked his ear instead. It was towards the village that he cocked his ear. We all stopped and cocked our ears. It was a funny sound. Clack, clack, clack. Clack, clack, clack. Clack, clack, clack. It was my mother cantering home across the wooden bridge. It sounded glad. My father thought of a new way suddenly to escape from his wings and ran to meet her. End of section four.